Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you here. I'm glad to be joining you for week two of our series called The Way of Love. And Pastor Brent started us off last week um, by talking about love and kind of the meaning of that word and where that word comes from. We, we hear it in songs all the time and we read about it in the Bible. So what is the significance of that and how can we live that out in our lives? That's what we're exploring throughout this series. And so as I was preparing for this week, as I was preparing for uh, this message today, I was considering the weight of words, the weight of words. Have you ever considered the weight of your words? Have you ever thought about how your words weigh heavy or maybe are light, depending on how they're used? Different words, I would think we know this, different words weigh heavily or light, depending on how we use them. So this this whole series is about love, right? So let's take the word love as an example. I could use the word love in a sentence. I could say, I love my wife, right? And that's, that's a heavy statement, There's a lot of weight to that statement. When I use the word love there, like Pastor Brent described last week, we're talking about that 1 Corinthians kind of love. It's a love that remains. It's a love that stays, right? There's there's significance to that statement. But I could also say, I love cheeseburgers. And that's also true, right? But it's not the same thing. And you know that. It's not the same. The word is the same, but it doesn't weigh the same because of what it's directed to. The subject is, is different. And so what we use the word towards determines whether or not it's heavy or it's light. So let's, let's take the opposite word, for example. Let's take the word hate. Okay, so if we let that word just sit for a moment, the word hate, even without context, isn't it a little bit heavy? There's something about that word hate that just stays with you. Saying it feels uncomfortable. Hearing it feels uncomfortable. There's something, even without context, it isn't quite right with us. And I think part of the reason is because we know that when this word is used towards people, towards a group of people, we know how destructive it is. We know how damaging it is. So even without context, this word is really heavy. I remember, um, I'm far out of high school now, but when I was in high school, my favorite class was always English. I could never do calculus. It made no sense to me. I could never remember the periodic table, but language for me was always something that just attracted me. I liked seeing how words work together. I like reading and just understanding language more and more. And so I remember in grade 11, every year they make you read a book. And so in grade 11, we had to read this book. We had to read The Great Gatsby, which a lot of you have probably read. And so I've grown to appreciate this book since getting older and rereading it. But when I was in high school, like most high school students who are forced to read a book as a part of a course, I did not like this book because I didn't understand this book. And I remember one day when we were discussing this book in class, we were talking about the characters and the symbolism and what it meant. And I was so frustrated. I remember just saying, I hate this book. I hate this book. And my teacher, my teacher, I remember my teacher stopped the class, stopped the discussion and pointed at me and said, you need to be careful how you use the word hate. Because I was using it lightly. And I think we do this sometimes. We just throw this word around. We throw the word love around too. But I was just saying, I'm frustrated with this book. I don't understand this book. And so I said, I hate this book. But she said to me, something that you've probably heard before. Um, Hate is a strong word, right? 
Hate is a strong word. We know this. But the thing is, so is love. Love is also a strong word. But what I think is interesting is that I, I don't remember being taught that as much. I remember being taught the dangers of the word hate and how we should stay away from the word hate and how hate is such a damaging word. Hate is a strong word, and that's true. But so is love. Don't we throw around the word love? We throw it around just to determine any kind of affection that we have towards people, towards things, towards food, whatever it might be. We can throw these words around. Now, we can talk about language all, all morning long, but what I'm trying to say here is that hate and love, they are more than just words. Because these words, when they're directed towards other people, they gain a certain power. They gain a special kind of power when directed towards another person. And so because of that, because of that power, they're more than just words. Love and hate specifically are movements. Love and hate are movements toward or away from our Heavenly Father. Love and hate are movements toward or away from our Heavenly Father. And so I want to ask an uncomfortable question for us this morning. Does hate have a place in my heart? Does hate have a place in your heart? And you might say automatically by default, no, of course not. I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian my whole life. I follow Jesus. Hate belongs nowhere in my heart. And we can say this, but I think what's important for us to realize and to understand as we're talking about love and practically how to live out love in our lives, I think we need to understand that hate has the potential to be in our hearts, that we have the potential to, to increase our feelings of hatred towards another person towards a relationship that has gone sour, that has gone wrong. We have the potential for this. And so I want us to consider our relationships in our lives. We have a large variety of relationships in our lives. We have friends, we have spouses sometimes, we have um, co-workers, we have classmates, we have acquaintances, we have people in many different categories who we consider to be in relationships with each other. Now, these relationships are, um, there's a wide range of them, right? And so... There's different levels of quality and closeness with the different relationships you have in your life. You know this. And so I want to quickly describe four different tiers of relationships that we have in our lives. And this is very general, but let's just describe this for a second. The first one is enrich. There are people in your life who enrich your lives. There are people in your life who you enrich their life and they enrich your life. These are your closest friends. These are in some cases, your immediate family members, people, maybe a mentor, people that make your life better, people that really add something to your life. These are the, the number one people. And then the second one is people you engage with. Okay, these are the second tier. These are people that you're close with, friends, but maybe not your best friends. Um, this could be people that you work with, people um, that you go to school with, people you engage with that don't quite meet the criteria of enriching your life, but your friends, you engage with them. And then the third one is people you encounter. This could be like acquaintances, people that you meet, people that you see in your life, people that are in your life, but aren't necessarily friends. You don't necessarily are going to hang out with these people. They don't necessarily add much to your life, but they are people in your life. And in a very general sense, this can describe the majority of our relationships. And people can move throughout these three tiers. People can move 
people that were once very close to you, who once made your life better, who once added something powerful to your life, might take a step down. It might be people that you just engage with semi-regularly. And even further, they might just be people that you encounter, people that you are just walking with life with and you kind of see them from time to time. And people can go up as well. You can increase a relationship with another person and they can grow in their, in their closeness and their quality of relationship with you. Now what happens with any relationship, any relationship, and you know this again, there is always some offense, right? There's always something that happens, something that they do, something that they say, something that they don't do or don't say. There's an offense that takes place in these relationships, no matter where they are. And what can happen is if we're not careful, we can allow the offense in a way to, to separate us from us and that other person. We can allow the offense to kind of make offense in a way, secluding them from us. And we can separate them. And that brings us to the fourth tier, which is the exiles. These are people that you have cast out from your life. And this can happen if we let offenses get in our way, if we let offenses get to the root of our relationships, then we can just be done with those people. To be exiled is to be barred from your country. To be exiled in relationship is to say, I'm done with you. Have you ever been just done with a person? Has something ever happened in your relationship where you said, I'm not dealing with you anymore? You're done. And these people, this fourth tier is what I want to focus on. These these exiles that we'll call them. This is where we have the most potential to develop a sense of hate towards if we're not careful, if it's left unchecked, if we think somehow we are immune to feeling feelings of hatred because we're nice people, because we love God, whatever that might be. We have to accept the fact that there is potential at the very least to develop feelings of hatred towards another person. And you might be wondering why we're talking about this, why we're talking about hate in a series of love. And I know it might feel a little weird, but what I want to, what I'm trying to do is develop a little contrast because the scripture we're about to look at does this very well. It develops a, a sense of contrast between love and hate, between light and dark, okay? And hate, hate is in some way a twisted form of love. It's love for me, and it's love for people like me. Okay, we want to be around people that are like us, that are like me. This is also known as the in-group bias. We are drawn to people who are in our group, who are in our circle. And as we cast people out, they are no longer part of us. And our love decreases for them, and our hate potentially increases. And so the scripture we're going to look at in just a second is found in 1 John. And John makes a really good contrast between light and dark. And this letter we're going to look at in 1 John, to me when I'm reading it, it's, I admit it's a little bit frustrating for me to read because the way my brain works is I just like things to be laid out in a very logical, sequential order. But John kind of doesn't do that with his letter here. He kind of spirals upward. He'll talk about something and then talk about something else and then talk about something else, and then he'll come back to that thing he talked about first. And at first, you're kind of like, this is confusing. I don't know what he's going on. He's just stick to a thought. But what he's doing is he's developing a sense of layers. And with each new layer, it adds complexity. It adds some depth 
to what he's talking about. And so I want us to take a few, a few moments to, to look at some examples, some things that John said about love and how we as Christians should love other people. You see, John was writing this to a group of people that he knew. It's a very pastoral letter. He loves these people that he's writing to. So I want us to pay attention to these words here. Um, in 1 John chapter 2, it says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. So he's writing this to a church and he's saying, if you claim to be in the light, and we know that Jesus is the light, if we claim to be in the light, if we claim to be walking with Jesus, but we hate a brother or sister, we're actually still in darkness. We're actually walking in darkness. We're only fooling ourselves. He goes on, he says, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. On the other hand, he's building contrast. Someone who does love their brother or sister, someone who does show love to people around them, is actively, through their actions, living in the light. It's proof of their relationship and their walk with Jesus. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Again, he's establishing a sense of contrast that if you claim to walk in the light, if you claim to love Jesus and walk with Jesus, but you hate other people, you've got something wrong. And so for John, there's no middle ground for John. There's no sense of twilight. There's no in-between. You can't be in the middle of love and hate. You are either in light or you are in darkness. And our response to the call of Jesus to love other people or to not love other people determines where we stand, whether we stand in light or whether we stand in darkness, whether we are in love or whether we are in hate. And so John, at this point, he kind of takes a break and he talks about something else, but eventually he returns to the topic of love and he says this, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The reason we are able to know what love is, is because of what Jesus has done for us, is because of what God has done for us, that he made a sacrifice for us. And it says we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That, that kind of love that Jesus displayed for us shouldn't end with him. It shouldn't end with Jesus. It should be continued with his modern disciples. It should be carried forward by you and by me. And he goes on and he says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? We all see people every day. We see people that we like, we see people that we don't like, and we see needs represented by those people. And for us to see a need and to not meet it, to not do anything about it, to just keep walking forward, to just ignore it, John questions us. John questions that motive and says, how can the love of God be in a person who ignores the needs of others? And again, he goes on, dear children, let us not love with words or with speech, but with actions and in truth. In essence, John is saying, talk is cheap. If you want to love, you got to prove it. If you say you love other people, if you say you walk in the light, if you say you love God, prove it with your actions. To love in truth is to love truly. And true love comes from God. 
It comes from the example that Jesus has set for us. Love is expressed through costly self-giving. Love is expensive. Jesus demonstrated that for us when he died on the cross for our sins. So for us, as we practice love in our lives, as we work on loving other people well in our lives, we need to realize that it's expressed through costly self-giving. It's going to cost us something. It's going to cost some of our time, some of our resources, some of our energy. It's going to cost us something. And that's okay. And that's a good thing because that's the example that Jesus has set for us. So the last section here in this letter, John says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Again, he's looping around to this idea of love. And he's, this is kind of a punctuation statement to say that we love God, but we hate another person. We are lying to ourselves. It doesn't work. We can't love God and then hate other people. We have to love other people if we say we love God. Forever does, does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. John is saying here that you see a lot of people. There's a lot of people in your life that you can see that are easy to love. But if you don't love them, how can you love the one that you don't see? How can you love a God that you can't see if you can't even love the people that you can see? And we can make excuses by saying like, we don't, you don't know the person that I'm dealing with. You don't know what my family's like. You don't know what my coworkers are like. But Jesus displayed the greatest example of sacrificial love for us. And it's something we should pay attention to. And he finishes with this. He says, Jesus has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is a command for us. It's something that we need to do. We need to love other people. So how are we going to do that? In light of what Jesus has done, we should live differently. We ought to live a little bit differently than everyone else. Because we can make excuses and say, there's a few people in my life who I just can't love, who I don't, I don't want to love. They're too difficult to love. We can make these excuses. But looking at what Jesus has done for us and accepting the truth that we didn't actually deserve this love, we didn't deserve this grace. If we can come to a place where we can accept the fact that God has given us so much, that God has sacrificed so much for us that we didn't deserve, we can then extend that to other people. In light of what Jesus has done, we should act differently. And so one thing we can do, uh, Paul writes this in Romans. He says, be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. Treat others as better than yourselves. If we are to be devoted to one another in love, we can do that by honoring other people. Now, what does honor look like in our, in our lives? Honor can look like a few different things, but the way of love, it always leads to honoring others. If we're going to follow the way of love, if we're going to live in the example that Jesus has set for us, we need to walk in honor towards other people. We need to honor other people. And I like what the, the ESV says. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. There's a sense of competitiveness here that I'm going to do better than you at showing honor to you. And you're going to try and outdo me in showing honor towards me. We're going to try and outdo each other in showing honor. And to show honor, in a sense, is to treat someone as uncommon. 
Have you ever been treated as common, as just baseline? Not even below baseline, just regular. And then have you ever been treated as above that? Have you ever been treated as if there's something special about you? If you have, you know what this is like. And this is kind of what honor looks like, to treat someone as uncommon, to approach someone, to interact with someone, to speak to someone as if to say there's something special about you. There's something that God has put on your life, on your heart. And that's true because God made everyone. God made all of us. God made the people you like. God made the people you don't like. And there's something special about each of them because God made them. And God made everyone to be unique. And God never makes mistakes. And so there's something special about each and every one of us, including the people that you have the most trouble loving. Now the message paraphrase of that verse says, be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. I like that phrasing. Practice playing second fiddle. We don't like to be second. We like to be first. We want to be ahead of everyone. But in this paraphrase, it's suggesting that if we want to love our friends deeply, if we want to love the people around us in a true way, we need to practice playing second fiddle. Another way to describe honor is to say that to honor someone is to transfer the weight of significance from you to the other person. To say, even in an interaction with someone, in a conversation with someone, you're in a sense saying, it's not about me right now. It's about you. I'm focusing on you right now. Through the words that I say, through the actions that I do towards you, it's not about me. It's about you. I'm transferring the weight of significance. For me, I'm directing the attention away from me and back to you. And that's, that's a rare thing. We don't see that a lot. We don't do that a lot. And that's an example of uncommon love. That's what uncommon love looks like, is to treat others as if they are uncommon, as if there's something special about them, as if there's a weight of significance that is being removed from you and being passed to them. You're treating them as if they are significant because they are. That's uncommon love. And here's my point. If uncommon love were more common, unnecessary hate would be a lot less common. If uncommon love were more common, if we did this more, if everyone did this more, if everyone treated each other as if they were uncommon, then unnecessary hate would be a lot less common. There would be less hatred that we would see if we could all get on board with this, if we could all do this. Now, I know you know, and I don't need to tell you, that this is easier to do with other people than with some. There are some people that you are close to that you, that you love genuinely and without effort. And to treat them as uncommon is really not, not a big deal. You might do this regularly even, but there are some people in your life who you will not do this towards, who you do not want to show uncommon love towards, who you do not want to treat as special because they get on your nerves and they annoy you and they bother you. And these are the people that we can grow hatred towards. And these are the people that I want to alert us to this morning. And so I want to, I'm going to get to us in just a second, but I want to give you one more example from scripture. Um, Peter writes this. He says, honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor, Peter says. 
this translation, it says honor everyone, and then it ends by saying honor the emperor. There's a, there's a statement there, to honor the emperor. He's telling the people that he's writing this letter to that you need to show honor to the one who's at the top, the, on, the, the emperor. And this makes sense to us. We should honor those in authority. I think that's a good thing. It's a good lesson in that. But specifically to this context, this is an interesting and it's almost disturbing to think about. Because the, the emperor in this context, the emperor at this time, to the people that he's writing to, was a man named Nero. And Nero was not um, a kind man <laughs> to Christians. He didn't treat Christians very well. There's, um, there's a, a historian named Tacitus, and he, he writes this about Nero. He says, Covered with the skins of beasts, Christians were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt, to serve as nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Put more plainly, Nero captured Christians. He had them murdered. And in some cases, he had them hung and set on fire to illuminate his nighttime garden parties. This was not a nice man to Christians. But still, what does Peter say? Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. And I'm, I don't know about you, but if I'm a first century Christian, I feel like he's the one man I should be allowed to hate. (laughs) I feel like that's fine. This guy who wants to kill all Christians, I'm a Christian, I feel like I should be able to hate this guy. But Peter, Peter says honor everyone, including the emperor. So what about us? Who are we going to love? Who are we going to show honor towards? If we're not careful, we can allow the idea of loving everyone, which is a really nice thought, and it's a thought that I think we can all get on board with. We can use that idea of just love everyone to excuse us from loving that one person that you just will not love. (laughs) You'll love everyone else except for that person. I will love everyone else in my life because they are easy to love, but that one or two people, I just can't get on board with that. We can use that as an excuse, but I want us to draw our attention to those few people who we have the most difficulty loving and seeing how we can honor those people. So to finish us off today, I have two questions and three action steps for you, which sounds like a lot, but it's not. We'll go quick. Um, The first question is, are you a liar? We saw in John how he said, if you claim to love God, but you hate other people, you are a liar. So this is an internal question for you. Are you a liar? Just think about that for yourself. Only you can determine that for yourself. Are you lying to yourself? Are you one who claims to love God, and yet you harbor a sense of hate or close to hate towards another person? Are you a liar? And the second question is, Who do you see? Who do you see in your life? John also said that if we can't love the God, if we can't love the people that we can see in our life, we can't love the God that we can't see. So who do you see in your life? Who are the people in your life that you see regularly or semi-regularly, especially the people that you don't get along with all that well? The people that you are, that you have, in a sense, as we talked about earlier, have exiled in your life, that you have mentally disassociated yourself from them even if they are in your family, even if they are a friend or they are a classmate, a coworker, someone that you have mentally said, I'm not going to interact with you as much because I can't do it. There's something about you that is just hard to love. Who do you see? And then three simple ways that we can honor someone else. You, you can practice this towards anyone, but especially to the person 
that you are having the most trouble loving. There's three things that we can do to honor other people. We can listen to them. Imagine just listening to someone. Listening to, we all want to talk. We all want to talk about what we're doing and what, what's going on in our lives. But to listen to someone, to go to someone, especially someone that you don't really like, someone that is hard to love, and to just listen to them and see what is going on in their life. To ask them how they're doing. You could get a sense of their story. You could get a, a, a better perspective of what they're going through, what they're dealing with. You can listen to them. And you can inquire about them. Ask them questions. Ask them how they're doing it. See what is going on in the deep parts of their life. Really make an effort to get to know them. People love talking about themselves. And if you ask people about themselves, they will talk about themselves in most cases. So you can listen to them. You can inquire about them. And finally, you can encourage them. You can encourage them. This is so hard to do towards people that we don't really get along with. Have you ever tried? Have you ever tried to encourage someone? Even though the parts of you were saying, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But if you can encourage someone that you don't really get along with, if you can encourage someone who is difficult to love, you can feel that it costs you a little something. It's expensive a little bit. It costs you a bit of your pride to say, I'm going to just put myself down a level and I'm going to elevate this other person and I'm going to encourage them even though I don't really feel like it and even though I don't really want to. So we can listen, we can inquire, and we can encourage. In other words, we can lie to them, okay? So just think about that. Hopefully you can remember that. Don't be a liar, but also lie to them, okay? <laughs> so if we can do this, we can do a lot of things. This sounds really simple. It sounds, listen to people, inquire about them, encourage them. It sounds very simple, but to do that towards people that you don't really like, to do that towards people you don't really get along with is incredibly difficult. So I want you to try that this week. If uncommon love were more common, unnecessary hate would be a lot less common. And so I'll just say this and then we're done. Um, I don't need, you don't need me to tell you this and you don't need anyone to tell you that we live in a broken world, right? We live in a world that has a lot of hatred running around. You don't have to look very far. If you want to find hatred somewhere, you don't have to look very far. You just turn on the news and find out what people are doing. You don't have to look very far. But we can be tempted, and it can be so easy to want to repay hate with more hate. But that's too easy. And that just keeps the cycle going. Only light can cast out darkness. And only love can break the cycle of hate. And true, authentic, life-changing love, it comes from our Heavenly Father. He is the one who has given that to us. He is the one who has extended that sacrificial love to us. And what's amazing is he doesn't want that to end with him. He wants that to be carried forward by us, by his modern disciples. He has equipped us to extend that same kind of love towards other people. He has equipped us to extend sacrificial love towards other people, costly love towards other people, uncommon love towards other people. And if we can do that, if we can make uncommon love more common, then unnecessary hate would be a lot less common. I think we'd all agree that if everyone did this, we would be in a better place. The state of our world would be better. The state of our relationships would be better. And I know that's a big thing to, to wish for. 
And I can't make you do this. And you can't make anyone else do this. Only you can decide for yourself. If you are going to work towards honoring other people, if you're going to act towards other people in a way that lifts them up instead of breaks them down, that puts yourself lower in an effort to make someone else higher. Only you can decide to do that. But if you do, and if I do, then I think we'll be better off than we once were. Remember, love is more than just a word. Love is a movement, and it's a movement toward our heavenly Father. So let's take that step forward together. Let me pray for you this morning. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this series that we are in talking about love and how we can live that out in our lives. God, I pray right now that you would help us to love other people in our lives. Help us to love, especially those who are difficult to love. Help us love the people that get on our nerves, that annoy us, that break us down more and more. God, I pray that you would highlight those people in our lives. Highlight the people in our spirits right now that, that are most difficult to love. And I pray that you would allow us to walk out of this place challenged to extend grace, to extend love towards those people in particular. I pray that you would give us what we need to, to practice those three steps towards those people. And we might not want to, we might not feel like it, but I pray that your grace would be enough to sustain us, would be enough to keep us moving forward. I pray that you would help us to extend that uncommon love towards other people in our lives. And I pray that as we do that, we would encourage those people to do the same and to make this world a better place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, if you've never taken a step towards Jesus, we said love is a movement towards God, and maybe, maybe you've never taken a movement towards God. Maybe you've never taken your first step towards God. I wanna encourage you right now that if you haven't, that God is welcoming you. God has his arms open towards you, and God just wants you to come closer to him. So we're going to pray a prayer in just a moment. And if you've never accepted the gift that Jesus has given you of eternal life, that Jesus sacrificed himself for our sins, and all he wants us to do is to accept that gift. If you've never done that before, when we pray, I want you to pray with me and you can accept that gift together. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the gift of salvation that you've given us. I thank you that even though we didn't deserve it, you came to give us life. And not just any life, but life to the fullest, God. And I thank you for what you've done, even though we mess up, even though we continually do what we know is wrong. God, you love us anyways. You love us just the same. And I pray right now for anyone who has never accepted the gift of your salvation, God, I pray that they would take that step forward today, that they would take that step forward and accept the gift of your salvation, God. And I pray that as they do, they can imagine you with arms wide open saying, come and follow me. This is a journey that we're on, a journey of faith. And I pray that those people who have never taken that step would have the courage to take that first step and start that journey today. And maybe anyone in this room who used to follow Jesus or maybe has fallen off the road a little bit, I pray that the, the image would be the same for them, that they would see you with arms wide open saying, come back. The invitation is the same, follow me. It doesn't matter how long you've been gone. It doesn't matter what you've done since you first spoke to me. I want you to come and follow me. And I pray that together, all of us, as a church, we would continue to strive after you, 
We would continue to grow in our relationship with you. We would continue to be better disciples of you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.